You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. I just want to tell you a couple of quick stories. So uh, earlier this week, we received an email from uh, the family we told you about. We sent a bunch of people out to the Saratoga Parkway campus that we just purchased a week ago, and uh, a family came up to us and said, hey, are you guys uh, praying about putting a church here? Because we were gathered to pray. And we said, uh, we're praying about it. Yeah, we're, we're praying about it. And uh, they said, we want you to know we've been praying that God would bring somebody here. Well, they followed up and sent us an email, and it says this. We've learned from Steve White, who's the senior pastor at Plainfield Christian, that you guys have purchased the 22 acres near our house. We have prayed for you since we prayed over you this summer, and we are praying for the zoning approval and planning to be snag-free. We are excited for you. All his best. Isn't that awesome? Like, God is starting to bring people that are prompting us. Yeah. Last week, last week uh, we had a new family from Clayton checking their kids into the children's check-in area. And as they were talking with our, our volunteer who was helping them kind of get plugged in, they said, you know, where are you coming from? They said, Clayton. And they looked at him and said, oh, we have this perfect thing. We are building a church just for you. Isn't that cool? After last week's service, another family came up to me, and they've been at Kingsway for roughly five weeks or so, and uh, they actually, I think they said their first Sunday was the Sunday Darren spoke, and I was like, too bad you had to go to me the next week, and um, they've been through tragedy. Um, they had a, their, their son passed away, and um, he was in his 20s, and that was a little over five years ago. I think they said six years ago, and they'd just been hurting and kind of angry and struggling and uh, just decided to come back to church about five weeks ago, and they live in Clayton, but they chose us. And then about a couple weeks later, after they've been coming, they heard us make this announcement, and they can't wait for us to be closer to their home. Again, I'm like, God, you are drawing all these people here. This past week, I was at breakfast with a, with a Kingsway uh, member, and another member was there having breakfast with some other people, and came up to me and said, hey, we, uh, we're now empty nesters, so we decided to sell our house and downsize, and guess where we bought our house? I said, I got a good guess. I said, yep, right off of Saratoga Parkway where you guys are planting. We can't wait to be a part of the startup to get this thing going. It is so cool to hear like all these stories of how God is like moving and pulling. Yeah, I love it, love it. Okay, so a, a sweet lady from our 8 a.m. gathering, she came up to me and said, Matt, I've got to check today. What do I do? And I said, well, just write uh, Plainfield or whatever, whatever, put the South Campus on there. She's like, well, I put West Campus. I'm like, close enough, we'll figure it out. I said it wrong the first week. I think I said West. It's kind of South and West. Anyway, if, um, if God is stirring in you to do this, we've been thinking about it. So we're trying to get $700,000. We have basically 900 what we call giving units, different people who give, families who give or individuals who give. If everybody gives basically $1,000, that's doable. And some of you are like, a what? Stick with me. So I recently had a conversation with a single mother, and um, she told me, she goes, I'm, I'm excited about what God is doing, and I've looked at my budget, and I've figured out how to squeeze $25 out of my budget. And you know what? That is sacrificial giving for her. That is sacrificial giving for her. And then you should be honored. But I also know there are people in our church who could write a $10,000 check or more and not even think twice about it. So the way that we get to everybody averaging 1,000 is not because everybody has to give 1,000. It's because everybody goes to the Lord and prays and says, God, what do you want me to give? And then they're just faithful to that because God knows exactly how to get us to that number. So let's just stop and pray. And then if you feel led today, you could drop it in our boxes or you can go online later today and give through the app. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we kick off this series in Luke, we are beginning a four-month or so journey from the birth to the cross to the resurrection 
And that is our hope. That is our hope. If we already celebrated in the service or we're going to celebrate in the next one as well, God, lives are being changed through this church, through your work in our hearts. Father, keep doing it, but don't just do it here. Do it at the Saratoga campus, but God, we pray that you don't even stop there. Would you go on and on and on to the ends of the earth? May we be a people who say, here we are, Lord, use us. So God, as you move in our hearts and stir in us how we are to join you in this endeavor, Father, give us a number. That, and may, may those who are married be united with their spouse on that number, God, because it's so clear you're doing it. It's not us coming up with it. It's you moving, Father. And may we just be faithful to wherever you lead us to. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. All right, let me ask you this question as we jump in today. Have you ever asked God for something for so long that you stopped believing it was possible? If so, this message is just for you. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter one. <clears throat> just to be clear, we cannot get through the entire book of Luke in four months. It would take about two years to do that. So we're gonna hit a lot of stuff and there's gonna be a lot of stuff you're gonna wanna fill in the gaps and some quiet time to read and find out more to the story. But Luke chapter one, verse five begins like this. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Don't you love? Like, in all of history, you will be recorded as the very old couple. <clears throat> Some of you are like, I'm recorded as that right now, Pastor. All right. What is going on here? Well, one of the things I love about Luke, Luke is great at saying so much in such little space. I'm great at saying very little and a lot of space. So I'm gonna do my best to be more like Luke today than like me. But here is what we have learned so far. So in the days while King Herod was there, the Herod family had reigned for many years. We had son or father pass on a son, pass on a grandson. There was many, many years of their reign. Not good people. But we aren't focusing on them today. In those days, there was a man named Zechariah, and he's married to a woman named Elizabeth, and they're much, much, much older in years. We don't know how old, but we know they're much older in years, and they are childless. Now, some of you may today be thinking, glorious, God has blessed them tremendously. In biblical times, however, that was not a good thing. In first century Palestine, you wanted children, and probably many children, as many as the Lord would give you. You would love to have a daughter. Any child would be glorious. Because ladies, if you failed to produce a child, and they always saw it as the lady's fault, if a lady were not able to produce a child, she failed her husband. So not only did she not provide a daughter, but she also didn't provide a son. And a son would have been even better. Because a son could get a job, he could make money, and when you were older in years, the firstborn son, it would have been his responsibility to care for you. So now you're much older in years, and probably don't think like we think today. When we think of older in years, we always think of something older than us, but we tend to think of maybe somewhere between like 80 and 100 as older in years, right? Something like that. They weren't living that long. We don't know how old they are, but we know that they're much, much older. Now, the byproduct of Elizabeth not being able to have kids is she would have been the scorn of the community. Here's how this might have looked. What did you see, Elizabeth? She can't have kids. I wonder what she did to make God mad. Do you hear it? See, a lot hasn't changed since the first century, has it? 
When was the last time you looked at somebody else's struggle, somebody else's pain, and you thought to yourself, I know what's wrong. They made God mad. They failed his parents. They messed the whole thing up, didn't they? And what happens is we become judgmental. This is a story about a couple who are feeling the weight of that kind of talk. See, we're told Zechariah comes from the priestly tribe or uh, connection lineage of Abijah, which was set up by David. But we're also told that Elizabeth comes from the heritage of Aaron, which is the first high priest of Israel. Both of them come from great family lineage. Both of them, we're also told, are blameless before the Lord. Now, does blameless mean they never sinned? Of course it doesn't mean that. It can't mean that. Why? Because if it meant they didn't sin, then we didn't need Jesus. Jesus is the only one who never sinned. He literally never did anything that God said was wrong or evil. So clearly they sinned, but how can they be blameless in all their ways? Well, in the Old Testament, there are some estimate over 600 do's and don'ts. Things you can't eat, things you can eat, ways to act or treat each other or behave or perform or whatever it is. And when you mess up, there are a whole set of lists of rules and laws about what you do when you mess up. You offer these sacrifices, you perform these rituals, you do these things to get right with God again. So what we know when they say it's blameless, it doesn't mean they're perfect. It means that in all their ways, they sought to honor the Lord. And where they messed up, they performed the appropriate rituals to be right with God again. These are good people. The reason that Luke includes those little details in the story is so that you know, even though they're suffering, even though they're old, even though they've been praying and it seems like God's not listening, it's not because they aren't Oh, by the way, Zechariah, his name actually means God remembers. All over the Bible, we find this. People are, we're told their names, and it's like prophetic. It's like it tells us something about them before their story begins. Let's take a look at what happens next. Verse eight. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Okay, so what's happening? Well, there are three primary places to the temple back in the day. So there's the kind of the outer courts and anybody's allowed in there. Then there's the, <clears throat> there's the holy place and the most holy place. You could argue there's four parts, but regardless, there's the holy place and the most holy place. The most holy place was where the Ark of the Covenant sat and only the high priest, again, the first one was Aaron, and every year Israel had one high priest. And that one high priest on one day a year called the Great Day of Atonement, you can find this in Leviticus 16, he could go into the most holy place and he would offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. And when he did that, the point was, it was called the Great Day of Atonement because everybody's sins that maybe they forgot about or they didn't perform appropriately, the right rituals, or whatever it was, all sins were washed away for one year, and then they had to do it again the next year on the same day. If you were to go into that any other time of the year, that you literally would have died. No joke. In fact, they started in later traditions tying a rope around the high priest's foot so that if he went into the Holy of Holies on the Great Day of Atonement and he died because he wasn't right with the Lord, they could drag his dead body out and not leave him in there for a year. 
Apparently, that would be bad. No, it'd actually be very bad because it would have defiled the most holy place. So that was covered by a very thick and heavy curtain that went all the way up to the tall ceiling of the temple and all the way to the floor. And right in front of that curtain sat what's called a, a two cubits by two cubits, basically 21 inch square. So it's roughly the size of this thing. It's a square though, it's a little bit more rectangular. And you've got this 21 or two foot square, basically 21 inch square right there in front of the curtain. In morning and night, the priest who was appointed would come in and he would burn incense on the altar there and he would pray. No sacrifices were allowed to be made on this altar. Again, in the Old Testament, the way you overcame sins was you sacrificed animals and you used the blood of those animals to cover over your sin. And this may sound gross and like, you know, Peter would have hated it or whatever, but you need to know that all these things point us to Jesus himself. So in the same way that a lamb's blood was used in the Passover, we're told that Jesus is the Passover lamb because when he died on the cross, his blood was used to cover our sin. It's an analogy so that when Jesus came, we can point to the cross, we can point to the resurrection and say, it's all always about Jesus. And here at this little altar, the priest would arrive and light the incense. We're told multiple times throughout the Bible, David talks about it, uh, Revelation talks about it, that the prayers of the saints are like incense going up to the Lord. Why is that important? Well, because it's this sweet smelling aroma that when lit, it rises up and it gets the attention, doesn't it? You ever, some of you hate incense because you're allergic to it, but whether you love it or hate it, it awakens your senses, doesn't it? Well, the point of the biblical metaphor is as the priest is lighting the incense, they are praying, and the whole idea is the incense is a reminder to the senses that our prayers awaken the heart and the mind and the senses of the Lord. In other words, it turns his attention to your problem. Are you with me? So the people are gathered outside. Well, Zechariah walks into the holy place, in front of the most holy place, and he's praying and interceding for them. Later rabbinical traditions record that priests were taught to pray something like this. May the merciful God enter the holy place and accept with favor the offering of his people. May the merciful God enter the holy place and accept with favor the offering of his people. They are, to use a King James term, beseeching the Lord. They're asking him, would you interact? Would you intercede? Would you move and do something on our behalf? And the people outside are praying. God, heal my grandfather. Father, cast this demon out of my son. Lord, would you please uh, bless us? We don't have enough food to eat. Father, would you take care of, please open my womb that I might have a child. Lord, would you help me to find a spouse? Lord, would you help me to be a good man? And they're praying on the outside while Zechariah intercedes for them on the inside. Now, the, what's amazing about this moment is how random it really is or not. There were roughly 18,000 priests in Zechariah's day. They were broken up by tribe based off families and clans into as who would serve and when they would serve. And it was his family or clan's time to serve. And so the priests would have many duties from dealing with the sacrifices, taking people's prayers, cleaning the temple, all the things that they would do to make sure that temple life was happening. 
but they would also draw lots, which is like drawing straws, for lack of a better phrase, and they would pick each day one priest who would go into the temple. You would do this once in an entire lifetime. Because if you just do simple math, if there are 18,000 priests and take 365 days, it would take basically 50 years for, for that whole 18,000 person group to cycle through. Which means, since most people, you weren't becoming a priest until you were in your late teens, maybe early 20s or so, most people weren't going to necessarily live long enough to win. There was going to be a group of people who never got a chance to win the lottery. And that's how they would have viewed it. When you were finally chosen to go into the holy place, this is as close as you could get to God. Because he sat on the other side of that curtain. And you couldn't go in there because you're not the high priest. The best you could do was be here. And Zechariah is an old man. Why did God wait so long? He's a good man. But he wasn't going to miss his moment. He's sitting there at that altar. And not only is he praying for the people, may the God of heaven, merciful, may your face be turned towards us. May you hear our prayers. He's praying for his wife. He's praying for himself. And it brings up a great question. How should I live today while God's answers to my prayer appear to be no or not yet? Because that's what's going on in Zechariah's story. Let's keep looking. I think we get a good answer. Verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. That's a really weird detail. I mean, you think I'm random. Is that random? We'll come back to that. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. It ought to say here in the Greek, duh. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. What prayer? I mean, he's supposed to be offering a prayer for the people. He's supposed to be offering a prayer for the nation. But this is his moment. It's not that he didn't do those things. I'm quite sure. It's that this was his moment. His moment to come into God's presence. His moment to to ask God, to uh, to have a relationship with God and ask God to intercede. This is his moment to lay out his request and he wasn't gonna miss it. And can you imagine the moment you're making that request, an angel suddenly appears and blows you off your feet and says, oh, by the way, God is listening. And he's been listening, Zechariah. Your prayer's been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're gonna call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 
In case you don't know who this is, maybe you're visiting with us today, watching online, welcome, we're so glad you're joining us. Maybe it's down the road, months or years from now, and you're listening to this. The person, the baby that's going to be in his wife's belly is the guy we call John the Baptizer, or sometimes called John the Baptist. That is who she's going to have. Realize this, if you are a woman in first century Palestine, not only do you want to have daughters, not only do you really want to have sons, you want to be the mother of the Messiah. Everybody knows the prophetic history. Time clock is running to a point. Everybody can kind of see that these prophecies of old seem to be pointed to. It's just about time. In fact, one uh, scholar I read at one point said, the people were pregnant with anticipation that the Messiah would come. And I thought that was a funny way to put it. People are waiting. And so all of the women of Zechariah's day would have wondered, when I got pregnant, maybe the baby in me will be the Messiah. Well, they get the second best thing. They get to have the baby who will be the prophet who comes before the Messiah to prepare the way for the people to receive God. And how do the people prepare the way? Two things I think are fascinating. These are fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Number one is verse 17. He will go before the Lord and the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children. You mean parents sometimes need their hearts turned towards their children? Yeah. Because life is hard and life is stressful and life is busy and sometimes we get too busy living our own lives and not investing in the things that God put in our lives like our children. Some get distracted with alcohol or drugs or gambling or food or sex or jobs or sports or shopping, or money. And next thing you know, these little blessings that God has placed in our lives are getting our leftovers instead of our best. Sometimes it goes the other way. Sometimes children have hard hearts, and sometimes children turn away, and sometimes in spite of good parenting and good families, parents become prodigals, or children become prodigals towards their parents. So that's why the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. However you became disobedient, however you became a prodigal, it's kind of irrelevant. But what John came to do is to call people back to God. This is where we get the term repent. You may have heard it before. You may be, one time I was downtown with my wife here in Indy and there's some dude with a megaphone yelling at us to repent and everything in me wanted to go toe to toe with this guy and tell him I have. But I thought, you know what? He's doing what he believes the Lord's told him to do. I think he's a crazy guy, but we'll let God sort that out one day. You've maybe heard that guy before, right? But here's what the word repent means. It's not a guy with a megaphone yelling and screaming, although John might've looked like that at times. What it is, is it means that I realize there's wisdom in a righteous life. There's wisdom in a life that is sold out and blameless before the Lord. So what do I do? Well, instead of arrogantly, pompously, pridefully living my life the way I want because it makes me happy, I surrender and I humble myself and I say, God, what you say is best is best. So your ways, not mine. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hey, Elizabeth, not only did God answer your prayer, he answered it in a way you could have never imagined. 
he answered it by giving you the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. You may be confused by that. The Old Testament said, this is the book of Luke, pastor. Yeah, but realize, Jesus hasn't come yet. John is the greatest prophet of the Old Covenant. He prepared the way of the people for the Lord. I also think it's fascinating how many people came out to see John later when his ministry begins. He's out in the desert. He's eating uh, locusts dipped in honey. Now, what does that tell you? He's a prophet, and he has a weird taste. It tells me his mama's dead because she's not making him any Thanksgiving meals. In all seriousness, we don't see Zechariah or Elizabeth anywhere in his story once his ministry begins. You know what that tells me? It tells me that God was merciful to Zechariah and Elizabeth in more ways than we perceive why. Well, the whole time that maybe they and you are asking, God, why are you taking so long? Why aren't you answering my prayers? Why aren't you doing this? I keep asking and you keep ignoring. God, why? God, why? God, why? Here's what was going on. God knew what was best for everybody involved. Why do you say that, Pastor? Well, if you don't know John the Baptizer's story, his faithfulness to God leads to him getting beheaded because of a seductress little girl does a dance for Herod, and Herod says, I'll give you anything you want, and she says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter, and he says, done. Imagine being a parent and watching that take place, burying your son. Could it be that God was sparing this couple even from that pain by making them older in their years when it happened? Again, we get really good at pointing a finger at God or blaming God instead of just saying, God, I trust you even when I don't understand what you're doing. So what's the answer to our question? How do I live for God while his answer for my prayers is no or not yet? Here it is. It's very simple, but here it is. Answer, I turn my heart toward the Lord and I prepare for him to show up. I don't know what he's gonna do or when he's gonna do it, but I'm gonna make sure that this heart, this life, this mind, this vessel is ready so when he shows up, he can use me. Notice in the story of Jesus, in the birth story, notice every person that gets used is a good man and a good woman and a person that's been waiting for God in some way by being faithful in their daily life, even in the midst of the no's or the not yet's. God is longing for people who have prepared the way for him to come, that he might come in and use regular, ordinary people. In fact, I love the way N.T. Wright says this. Uh, He's a scholar and theologian. He says, God regularly works through ordinary people doing what they normally do. Who? With a mixture of half faith and devotion or holding themselves ready for whatever it is that God has in mind. Is that you? Let's take a look at our hero and see just how well he does at this. Zechariah 1, Zechariah 1, Luke 1, verse 18. Zechariah, ask the angel. I, <clears throat> angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is, eh, he's smart. He knows he didn't say she's an old woman. She's well along in years. Verse 19, the angel said to him, and I love this. Really, dude? In the Greek, if you spoke Greek, you would see that. I'm just kidding. It doesn't actually say that. And the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now 
you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Okay, so what's crazy about this is if you're standing there doing your daily duty one day and God decides to send an angel to get your attention, do you think that you might believe it? If all of a sudden somebody's in a room where nobody else could possibly be in, there's only one entrance into the room, it's behind you, so this, per, this angel showed up in front of you and to the right, whatever that is, you know they didn't sneak in behind you, and you know they're an angel, however you know, because you are afraid, at least in part, there's something different about them, and they say, crazy things gonna happen today, do you go, really, are you sure? But you might, if you've been asking for years, and it's such an impossible situation, she's well past barren, and God says, it doesn't matter. I'm not bound by the things that the world says I should be bound by. I can do whatever I please, whenever I please, because I'm God, and that's how it works. Gabriel's answer is, really? I stand in the presence of the guy who does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, and you're asking me if I'm sure this can happen? Of course it can happen. I'm Gabriel. Are you kidding me, dude? Zechariah struggles, but Zechariah, notice this. God is patient with imperfect faith. God is patient with imperfect faith. God didn't say, you know what? Forget it. Forget it. I'm gonna give this blessing to somebody else. Let me ask you a question. Do you think there were any of the other 17,999 priests who had junk going on in their lives? Do you think any of them had a health issue, a struggle, a sin, something they've been praying about for a long time? Any of them? I find it hard to believe Zechariah and Elizabeth are the only couple. Do you think any of those other ones who had something they were praying about were also good and blameless priests? I find it hard to believe that none of them were. I'm going to guess there were maybe hundreds, possibly thousands of people who fit that situation. But God chose to do something in this moment for this couple, for whatever the reason he had. And he didn't take it away and say, next, I'll be back tomorrow. No, he kept the promise. Because God is faithful when we are faithless. But God also works through faith. I love the way, again, N.T. Wright says this. He said, Luke indicates that through this all-too-human story of puzzlement, half-faith, and dogged devotion to duty, God's saving purposes are going to be dramatically advanced. God is going to get done everything that God intends to get done, even when it's not with a person who isn't struggling. Luke chapter one, verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. Like, did the old man have a heart attack? Did he take a nap on the floor? Like, is he gonna just soak in the moment all day? Verse 22, when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. This is proof that God is the one who created gestures. So all the money and proceeds need to go to him. So think about this. You're an old dude. You've been in there a long time. And nobody knows what happened. You come out, they're like, everything okay? Something happened? And he's like, go ahead. You try communicating. I was praying. I saw an angel. The angel spoke and said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And your barren wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a baby. Name him John. Ready? Go. Try this later and see if you can convince your neighbors and family and friends who weren't here how to do this. So John's clearly making some sort of sign, something, you know, two parts, part one. (laughs) And everybody's trying to guess at what he's talking about. They figure out, he saw something, but we have no idea what's going on. Okay, pick up, I've got enough on that. Look at verse 23. 
When his time of service was completed, he had to keep working. He worked weeks in silence. Could you imagine every day somebody goes up, can you talk yet today? Now imagine the next nine months while your wife is pregnant. This was a gift to Elizabeth. (laughs) Verse 24, after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Why? Just my own guess. I think that's what Luke is saying. She was ashamed. The public ridicule, the mocking, people are gonna not believe me, they're gonna think I'm crazy. After all these years of being hurt and weeping and crying before the Lord, now he's doing this. I don't even know how to handle it. But God is good, isn't he? The Lord, verse 25, has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and had taken away my disgrace among the people. Remember Zechariah's name? God remembers. God remembers Zechariah's faithfulness. God remembers his promises. God remembers all the prayers. Not one of them, not one of them went wasted. Why is the angel to the right? Remember we asked that question but we didn't answer it? There's a lot of people who put out a lot of things why they think it's true. Here's what I think. Remember, this little two-cubit, 21-inch square sits right in front of the Holy of Holies. When Jesus died on the cross, just before he died, he cried out, it is finished. And at that moment, this thick, heavy curtain that covered the way to the Holy of Holies was ripped in two from the top all the way down to the bottom, signifying that it could not be a man who ripped it because if a man were gonna rip it, they would have to rip it from the bottom to the top. It ripped from the top to the bottom and then it fell down. And what this meant was Jesus now opened the way for us to come into the God's presence, to talk to him, to pray with him. For those of you who have children, has your child ever had a bad day or a hurt or pain or somebody made fun of them, something was going on and they just climbed up in your lap and you wrapped your big old arms around them and they just wept. This happened the other day. One of my boys just wept. He was ashamed and embarrassed by something that happened. He buried his head in my chest and I just wrapped my arms around him and I held him close. And when Jesus died on the cross, he made it available. So not just the high priest, but you, you can go into God's presence and you can talk to your heavenly father and you can have his arms wrapped around you and you can have him embrace you and listen to your prayers and your needs and have him say, hang on, dear child. I've got this and I've got you. Yeah, you can clap for God. And the reason the angel has to be to the right is because he's not. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there's one God and one mediator between God and man, and his name is Christ Jesus. See, on that great day of atonement, they took the blood from outside the sacrifices, and they brought it in, and they sprinkled it on top of this little altar to signify that the prayers of the saints were holy enough to go before God. Jesus now says, it's my blood my blood that washes over you, 
my blood that cleanses you from unrighteousness, my blood that makes you right with God. And I've now torn this veil in two, and Jesus stands between God and us pleading our case. So that when God looks at us, he looks right through Jesus. And he doesn't see our sin, and he doesn't see our failures, and he doesn't see our mistakes. Instead, he sees the blood of Jesus, and our prayers go up to him like incense, a fragrant offering that smells beautiful to him and awakens his senses and tunes his ears so that when we pray, he says, that's my son, that's my daughter. And if I am for them, who can be against them? What we're gonna do right now we're gonna take communion. And the reason that we're taking communion in this moment is because this is our time to enter into the holy of holies by the blood of Jesus. This bread and this juice signify the cross of Christ. The bread, his body, the juice, his blood. But here's the thing that's special, and I wanted to wait till they were kind of out. I want you to hear me, all right? There's people messing around, but listen. As you take that bread and juice, I want you to cry out to your heavenly Father for whatever you need. He's listening. You don't need a saint. You don't need an ancestor. You don't need a priest. You need Jesus. And he will intercede with you and for you. In fact, Paul says, when we don't even know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit cries out on our behalf and communicates to God what it is we really need. When we're done with communion, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Anybody in this room who's been praying for a long time or even a short time, but you've got some big stuff we're gonna have some people down here that they're connecting. They'll be wearing the purple shirts and they're gonna be down here while everybody else is singing. I wanna encourage you to come down here and talk to them and they just wanna pray with you because we want you to know though you don't need anybody else to pray for you, you don't need anybody else to pray with you, we wanna be a praying church. We wanna be a church that practices prayers and petitions. We wanna be a church that continues to offer up to the Lord our hearts, our voices, and our incense to God that he might be pleased. And so if you came in here today needing prayer, when we're done with communion, you come down and we're ready to pray with you. I'll start a prayer now, then I'll hand it off to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being good and kind and faithful. Thank you for Zechariah and Elizabeth's story. God, if there's any sin in us that is not pleasing to you, God, right now, may we cast it aside. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Father, that we might start afresh with you right here, right now. You tell us that your mercy is new every morning. So even if we thought, God, in our mind that we had exhausted your mercy yesterday, today it begins fresh. Father, may we receive that mercy for our sin. But God, may we also receive the mercy of your presence in your face turned towards our life. Hear our prayers now. In Jesus' name.